Welcome back to Exploring the Lord of the Rings. This is session number 237, and tonight we spy the first mysterious thing that we see in the distance here in the greater Holland region. Um, so uh, let's, um, we're going to uh, jump straight in relatively soon. I want to see if we can get through another entire slide tonight, which would be exciting. Um, I just... Uh, I've been so some of you might have heard that I'm um I'm I agreed to help Alan out and I'm co-hosting with him on the Prancing Pony podcast for a few episodes here about four episodes uh that we're recording here in September and will be aired uh end of September into the beginning of October and um I'm I we just recorded our first one last night which was really fun. Uh yeah. Uh Chris says that must be head spinning for you. The the most surreal thing uh Chris was like I mean I'm used to saying like nice things about the prancing pony but I'm not used to calling them we. <laughs> that was that was that was a little bit uh that was a little bit uh funny at first. Um but anyway it was great. I mean I I've been having a, I've been having a, a a great time with that. Um but um but yeah, it's been uh, it's been it's it's been really 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 fun and interesting. But of course, it's also <laughs> a, a really interesting and fun contrast. Um, you know, he, you know, Alan was like, "Yeah, so I'm sorry, we're only gonna get because my first episode was the questions after nightfall, and then we're gonna do three episodes into, uh, you know, the beginning of the first chapter of uh, book five. He's like, oh, I'm sorry, you're not gonna, you know, get to all these other things. And I'm like, Are you kidding? We're we're gonna cover, you know, in these three in these three sessions, what what it's gonna take us like, you know, uh, at least nine months to cover uh, in exploring the Lord of the Rings someday. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it's um. Uh, it's really, it's really fun. Um, but, uh, anyway, yeah, yeah. So I'm already, I'm working on like, I, I don't know which roles I'm going to get, you know, when, when we do the readings, like they always do on Prancing Pony. Um, oh, excuse me. <laughs> like we always do now on the Prancing Pony. Uh, so, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm going to be doing, uh, the Minas Tirith chapter, I believe. But anyway, no, we're going to, we're going to get there. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna figure it out but um man it's uh <laughs> it's really it's really fun um but um uh bjorning i'm a, i'm i'm swifter on monty python uh references than i am on uh 80s prog rock song lyrics um i i'm not wholly without uh i'm not wholly uninformed on the latter subject but i'm uh, i'm pretty strong on monty python quotes so i can i can at least in that sense hold my own <laughs> but um uh anyway um uh so uh <laughs> sorry Anyway, yeah, this is a bit of a digression, um, but uh, I, I was just I was thinking of you guys as we were, you know, kind of discussing through some things uh, on our Prancing Pony recording and then getting ready, starting to get ready for the uh, the first episode, beginning book five. Um, 
But um, anyway, uh, <laughs> let's um, let's get to announcements for this week. So announcements for this week. First, uh, I wanted to remind everyone Mountain Moot is coming up. So um, we're going to be in Denver on the 24th of September. So that is coming up now quite soon. Uh, we're only just about a week and a half away uh, from Mountain Moot. Uh, really uh, excited to... Uh, it's been now two months since we've done a regional moot. So I'm looking forward to it. And I've, we've never, I've never been to Denver before. Uh, we've never done a regional. It's our first mountain moot out there. Um, so that's going to be, if, you, if you're planning to come either remotely or on site and you have any ideas for something you'd like to discuss or, or a presentation you'd like to give, there's still time uh, to get in a suggestion for that. And But that does close on Saturday. You can find that on the Go to signumuniversity.org slash events and you can find uh, Mountain Moot there and the uh, the um, call for papers uh, reference there. Um, but anyway, it's uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. I'm really excited uh, to... Um, uh, to go to uh, to go to Denver and to connect with folks there. I've been watching registrations come in. I always, uh, I, I know I've said this before, but I always get email. I still get email notifications when like all registrations come in at Signum because I love to see them. I love to see them come. I love to uh, I love to see the names of people who are attending and uh, look forward to to meet folks. So um, I'm uh, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Um, oh man, Fort Thoughtless, I would be so excited to get snow in September, uh, in Denver. I'm so ready for snow this year. I am absolutely ready for winter myself. So, um, but, <laughs> but, but we'll see, we'll see. Um, uh, anyway, uh, anyway, so that's one thing that is coming up very soon. Um, and again, if you if you can't make it out to Denver or if you're nowhere near Denver, don't worry. Um, you can still participate. Uh, you can still participate remotely. Um, and we have had uh, just such a wonderful experience. Um, uh, uh, Jean Druids Fire, who is uh, uh, it's not with us right now, but will be joining us later on, is usually here with us on Tuesday evenings. Um, she is our regional moot, uh, our, our digital moot facilitator. Uh, she does such a wonderful job of helping to integrate the experience of people who are not there in attendance with the people who are there in attendance so that we can uh, we can really have a fun and robust hybrid experience uh, for these uh, for these regional moots so I've been very much enjoying that over the last uh, year plus now uh, and um, looking forward to our fall moot season really uh, starting into swing which is what mountain moot is um, anyway so that is one announcement. The other is I wanted to update you folks on, you know, for folks who are interested in Rings of Power discussion, of course, it's one of the big things that's happening right now. The uh, first two episodes of the new Lord of the Rings Rings of Power show dropped last Thursday night. Um, and uh, I certainly had a wonderful time both watching them and discussing them afterwards. Um, I've also been having a really good time recording my segments for Rings and Realms, our next Rings and Realms episode, uh, which should be released, I hope, tomorrow is the plan. Um, so we will um, we will see. I feel guilty putting pressure on the release because I'm not the one doing the post-production, so it's easy for me to say. But, um, <clears throat> but man, I am so excited about this. Um, we're, um, we're doing... So like the two segments that I was doing, like the kind of original brainstorming idea was that like one would be sort of like a, a recap and review of the episode. And then the other would be the sort of Tolkien, uh, you know, Tolkien concept deep dives, you know, uh, that are brought up in the show. And um, uh, but when I 
actually sat down to it, I was like, I can't, I'm not just going to do a recap. Like I want to do, um, there, was, there was so much, there was so much I was just bursting to talk about from those first couple episodes that I, um, I ended up doing this sort of thematic analysis of the first two episodes. It was really fun. Uh, so anyway, uh, I, it's, I think it should be, I think it should be a good time. So uh, keep your eye out for Rings and Realms tomorrow. And then there's a number of other things happening uh, for uh, during the rest of the week that I want to make sure just just in case you know if you are interested in having more discussion on the rings of power well i have you covered uh for that so here's what's going to happen so we've got the next episode of rings and realms which is going to drop hopefully tomorrow on uh wednesday the what is it the 7th tomorrow yes the 7th of september um then of course on thursday evening at midnight the midnight which people technically call friday um I, that's when the next episode, episode three, is going to drop, right? Just one episode this time. When the episode drops at midnight, I'm going to be watching it. The minute it drops, I'm going to be sitting and ready uh, uh, to hit play as soon as it goes. Um, and so I invite anybody who is up at that hour at, you know, 12 Eastern time on technically Friday morning uh, to... Um, uh, to watch with me. I'm not going to talk over it because I'm going to be watching it for the first time. So I'm going to be focused on absorbing, right? So we won't talk over it, but I'll have the chat open um, and we can, I will have my camera on. So, you know, <laughs> if, if I, you know, break down crying as I've done on more than one occasion watching this show, um, uh, you'll be able to see me, see it happen. But um, uh, so you may get some visual responses from me, but I'm not going to talk over it. And then, but then right after the watch party is done, when we, when we finish watching the episode together for the first time, um, I'm definitely going to want to talk things through a little bit and kind of orient myself on what we just saw and what just happened. So I'll definitely turn on the mic and we can have some discussion um, at that point. This will all be on the Signum Twitter Twitch channel, uh, the Signum Twitch channel. Uh, that <clears throat> that will all be happening on Thursday, late Thursday night into Friday morning. Um, then on Friday, uh, there's going to be. I skipped other minds and hands. In between the two is other minds and hands. So Rings and Realms drops on Wednesday. Thursday afternoon at 4:30 p.m. is other minds and hands. And so that's the chance to uh, talk with me and Maggie. Ask you know if they're questions you still have after watching Rings and Realms and everything else you've been thinking about uh, over the course of these weeks. There there's some things we can still go over as I, I um, <laughs> you guys, you guys would have, uh, there was a, there was a moment today where I was in the studio, right? In the filming studio. And one of the guys on the crew uh, <laughs> says, he's, he says, uh, okay, so I'm like, yeah, we're going to, we're, we're going to do this segment in like parts. Like I'm going to do, I'm doing, you know, these six, but these six topics I want to address. So I'm going to, I'm going to address each one of them separately. And he's like, oh, great. Okay. So they're going to be like five minutes a piece. And I was like, you can believe that if it comforts you. <laughs> but I was just thinking what you guys would have said had you been there. Um, but uh, <laughs> anyway, I was I was good. Actually, I think one of them was under five minutes. So uh, so that was fine. Um, but uh, <laughs> it was it was fun um, anyway. So um, 
but needless to say, despite the fact that I ended up <laughs> talking for longer than the filming crew was expecting uh, on both of my segments for Rings and Realms this week, um, where the, there's still there's so much I didn't I didn't get a chance to discuss and to talk about. Um, so I'm looking forward to uh, you know kind of going through some of that with Maggie and also sort of preparing more explicitly for the uh, for the next episode, right? Because uh, you know we're going to be broadcasting that. You know, less than twelve hours from the uh, the drop of the next episode. So anyway, so that's Thursday afternoon. Then later that night, when the episode drops, I will do the watch party, just as I described. Some a little bit of discussion afterwards. Um, and yes, that will be you'll be able to get that on the Twitch channel. That'll 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 be there. And then, um, uh, and then on Friday, there are going to be two re- different reaction shows that I'm going to be on. Um, the first, of course, is the one that Maggie and I are hosting on Twitter Spaces. Um, and um, so that's, yeah, so that's at noon Eastern time on Twitter. So if you go to my Twitter account, you'll see the Spaces notification and you can join us in the Twitter space there. Um, that's going to be the official uh, reaction show from uh, uh, from Prime Video uh, we're doing in association with them. Um, and... Um, and we're going to be joined by a special guest this week, actually, I'm with whom I'm kind of excited about. Um, uh, I don't tell them I told you this <laughs> yet, but um, uh, I'm expecting there's always a chance that plans may change. But I, at this point, I am expecting um, that we're going to be able to uh, that we're going to talk to Leith McPherson, uh, who is the dialect coach uh, for uh, Rings and for not Rings and Realms, uh, for the Rings of Power show, the one who does all the languages uh, and things. Uh, so I, she's delightful. I got to meet her in London back in May. Um, and uh, she, anyway, I'm really, really looking forward to talking about languages and dialect and accents and things like that. Uh, with her, so Maggie and I are going to get to have some conversation with her about that um, on the Friday show at noon, um, and then I'm going to be, uh, and th- so that's at noon Eastern time. At about two ish, two p.m. ish Eastern time, I'm going to be joining the official Prime Video Twitch watch party. So they do a watch party starting at one p.m. Eastern time um, on Prime Video UK. Um, uh, Twitch channel, uh, and I'm not hosting the watch party, so there will be there's like a, a bunch of other people uh, from a different Twitch, a whole different team uh, who is hosting the watch party. But then there's an after discussion when the sh- when the when the episode is over. There's an after discussion, um, and I'm gonna do like I did last week. I'm gonna come in and join them for the after discussion, and we'll do some you know quick Q and A and and discussion there with them also which as i say that should happen at about 2 p.m. and that's on the prime video uk twitch channel and in between those two i'm going to do some of my grifflet broadcast anyway um Barry dear how does she pronounce gilgalad almost certainly she pronounces it correctly unlike me yeah i'm totally i'm totally trying to change my ways i really am i've been working on that since i was but like i mean old habits die hard like i loved the character of gilgalad when i was a kid um and i did not find out how to properly pronounce that until like decades after i'd been pronouncing it it's one of those that is just i'm glad it isn't anything more embarrassing i mean like to be honest i always pronounced um Maiglin's name Maglin for many years right as many people do right who um you know start reading the books as kids and whatever um that I've gotten over, 
right? I've, 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 I've overcome eventually that obstacle, but man, Gilgalad, it's hard. Um, uh, it's hard. And Green Great Dragon, no, I do not roll my Aragorn R's. Um, I, no, I won't do that, actually. Um, I could, in some circumstances, be uh, uh, convinced to flip them, right? But um, I've heard people who really roll them all the time, you know, who can't refer to the character without calling him Aragorn. And I'm just like, no. Um, if I, I mean, I can do that. Um, but I don't know. It, for some people, they can make it work. Uh, to me, I'm just like, no. I, but I actually disbelieve that anyway. Um, R's like that, like an O-R-N to roll an O-R-N like that. I just, um, yeah, it does sound like a cat purring, doesn't it, Almarea? Yeah, I just, um, um, yeah, yeah. And I just, yeah, anyway, there we go. So <laughs> I'm, 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 uh, uh, I disbelieve that the, especially the second R is really supposed to be rolled, fully rolled. Gorn. Uh, I, that's, I don't believe that's how that consonant functions. Um, so anyway, whatever. I, I, but um, yeah, anyway, but maybe someday I will consistently pronounce Gilgalad's name correctly. Who knows? Um, see, Madagat, recordings of Tolkien, there, it's, yeah, recordings of Tolkien saying these names, it do, that does not help. <laughs> Tolkien was wildly inconsistent uh, with himself, and not like his own. Like he pronounces things differently in different places where the, where it has been recorded, um, and sometimes, you know, both of them inconsistent to his written rules. Um, but um, yeah, yeah, um, yep. Now, uh, Kendall, I do think. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like for instance, um, I. Uh, like <laughs> as soon as as soon as I heard the recording in which he reads the name of the dwarves and he um and he calls the nephews of Thorin Philly and Killy, he totally does. Uses a short eye for the first one, which is like against all the rules <laughs> that he wrote. <laughs> and I'm just like, okay, never mind. Never mind. Uh, I'll never yell at anybody about their pronunciation again. Um, but um, anyway, anyway, okay, okay, okay. Um, so that's what's happening this week. <laughs> I've, been, I've, been, I've been digressing. Um, but um, uh, anyhow, um, let's let's talk about the text. Off we go. Off we go. Um, It was Sam's turn that day to take the first watch, but Aragorn joined him. The others fell asleep. Then the silence grew until even Sam felt it. The breathing of the sleepers could be plainly heard. The swish of the pony's tail and the occasional movements of his feet became loud noises. Sam could hear his own joints creaking if he stirred. Dead silence was around him, and over all hung a clear blue sky as the sun rode up from the east. Away in the south a dark patch appeared and grew, and drove north like flying smoke in the wind. All right, let's just let's take that first paragraph first. I love the contrast here, right? Um, 
first we get the description of the silence, right? But notice we don't get a description of the silence. We get a description, a wonderful description of Sam's experience of the silence, right? Notice it, it, it begins, this, this part of the paragraph begins, right? We start with, um, you know, a simple establishment of things. It was Sam's turn that day to take the first watch, right? So this, this happens to fall to Sam. But Aragorn joined him. So we see Aragorn's continued vigilance. Aragorn does, still does not understand. He does not know what's going on. And so he is not going to just go to sleep, right? He's going to, he's, nor is he going to, nor does he displace Sam entirely, right? He lets Sam take his proper turn in the watch, um, but he does stay with him, right? And I think it's actually a really, shows us a very small little interesting thing about, um, uh, Aragorn's role, and I mean, remember how we saw him kind of taking the hobbits under his wing already. Remember when he he took Mary to explore um, that one time, you know, in the between the Weathertop and the Ford, right? Um, we've seen him kind of not exactly training the hobbits, but um, making them making them feel involved, right? The others fell asleep. Then the silence grew until even Sam felt it. Madagot, yeah, you're right. Even Sam, right? Um, Aragorn, okay, we can expect him to be attuned to this, right? We can expect him to be, uh, uh, you know, but even Sam can feel... And, and I think that it's not just like, yes, I too hear nothing, right? Like it's, it doesn't take very sharp, um, uh, very sharp ears to not hear something, right? Which is basically what Sam is doing, right? Um, and yet, notice it's not about the hearing. It's about the feeling. Even Sam felt it. Aragorn was expressing, yes, okay, it's, um, it's, it's quiet, but it was more, it was that, that, that feeling that he had, that sense that he got um, of fear and of watchfulness, right? And now even Sam has the experience of encountering this silence and the ominousness. By the way, on the ironic subject of silence, I have my puppy asleep in my lap right now, which is adorable. I can't lift her up to show you or I'll wake her up. But she snores. It's adorable. But So if you hear what sounds like a little snortling sound, it's the puppy on my lap. Just want to make sure that's... <laughs> that's clear <laughs> to people. Um, yes, exactly, Fourth Thomas. I don't have like Gollum sneaking up on me or something. Um, but um, yeah, yeah, I'm hoping that um, I can get through this class without, in fact, my left hand falling asleep. Uh, as I, there's a non-zero chance that it will. Um, so my puppy is a, she's a little Shih Tzu puppy, so she's uh, slightly larger than than the hand on which she is sleeping right now. Um, but um, she's, yeah, she's a little short short-nosed Shih Tzu, hence the snoring. Um, uh, Pixie is her name, by the way. Pixie is her name. Um, okay, anyway, back, back to Sam. <laughs> back to Sam. Um, even Sam felt it, right? And again, I think the it there, it's not just the silence, right? It's a, what Aragorn had said, the quality of the silence that he describes. And I love how having told us that Sam feels it, Tolkien now makes us feel it, right? Introduces us to Sam's progressive awareness of the silence. The breathing of the sleepers could be plainly heard, 
right? So Sam is keyed up for silence. Like this was just made a big deal of, right? And so the first thing he notices is that, gosh, um, you know, the sound of them breathing sounds really loud, right? I can, I can hear it from here. There's nothing covering up their breathing sounds. The swish of the pony's tail and the occasional movements of his feet became loud noises. Sam could hear his own joints creaking if he stirred, right? This is the, I, I think, sort of the final, um, sort of the final stage, right? Um, a, a sound that you know to be there but which you might not normally pay any attention to. That is the breathing sounds of the people sleeping near, near you um, is the first thing that comes to his attention, right? The second are tiny incidental noises like Bill swishing his tail, right? Which you'd never notice. Even if you noticed the breathing of your, uh, of your neighbors there, you, you would probably not notice the swishing of Bill's tail, right? But not only does he notice it, it's a, it's, it, it strikes him as a loud noise. And then finally, his own awareness of himself. Like he feels, feels like he could feel his own joints creaking, right? Um, this not just, um, not just uh, his, um, this sense of silence, but the way that the silence sort of oppresses him. Yeah, Almaria, it is like when you hear your own pulse in your ears, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yes. <laughs> yes. Fort Thoughtless says, if we needed any ex- evidence that Sam is young, this is it. As an older person, I can hear my joints creaking without any assistance. <laughs> yeah, I hear that. I hear that. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, that's interesting. Captain Mo says, I think this is even Sam giving credit to Sam. As a gardener, uh, he should know the sounds of nature and how eerie it is if you hear none of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, Wobe, I totally agree. This low-key escalation is great, and Tolkien does this trick a lot. Yes. Um, I, I think back to that wonderful conversation I had with John Howe a few weeks ago where he was pointing out that in Tolkien's descriptions in the text, he tends to he tends not to describe things. He tends to describe the experiences that characters are having when they encounter things. Um, and that that seems to be part of the secret of how he makes that experience so present to us, right? Um, and yes, this... The sense that we get, not just of... It was quiet. How quiet was it? It was really quiet, right? We don't just get a description that elaborates on that. Instead, we get this increasing sense of of uneasiness, of eeriness, right? Um, uh, dead silence was around him. But I love the transition there, right? Dead silence was around him, and overall hung a clear blue sky as the sun rode up from the east. I don't know about you, but at that point in the paragraph, I expected something atmospheric to match it, right? Uh, remember the description of like the the gray sky and you know sort of the shadow creeping over thing. Remember that that description from when the day we left Rivendell, right? Um, when we got that sort of the oppressive shadow of everything, right? Um, I was ready for a sentence like that, right? Um, I was ready for for you know dead silence was around him and overall hung a slate gray sky lowering above his head right I don't know how he would say it way better than I but right I was expecting that kind of thing 
at that moment, like a a, a, a a sort of a visible atmosphere to echo the eeriness that he experiences. And then it's even eerier, right? When you look around, everything looks fine. It's a beautiful day, actually. It's a beautiful day. Beautiful blue sky, blue sky sun riding up from the east in the clear sky. Pleasant as you could please, right? And that just seems to make the oppressiveness of the, the dead silence, right? And that waiting and watching and fearfulness uh, just, just ramp up. Um, and I, uh, I love that. I love that. I think that that's just, that's just a really powerful thing. And of course, then we get away in the south, a dark patch appeared, right? So now we have both the sort of eerie contrast of the cheerful visuals with the, the oh, I was going to say the audio cues, but the non-audible <laughs> cues, right, uh, that they're receiving, um, which leads to this, uh, this sense of fearfulness and, and oppression. Um, but then we get the contrast, right? Away in the south, a dark patch appeared. Oh, yes, um, Valzantin. I don't know exactly how to pronounce that combination of letters, but yes, you're right. Um, it's also a quiet reminder of how strange it is not to be hearing anything, right? If it's a beautiful day under a blue sky and the sun is riding up from the east and you're in a th thicket of huge holly trees surrounded by other huge holly trees... Surely there's going to be birds, right? Birds would totally be singing at this time of day, right? Um, um, ah, Valzan, gotcha. Yeah, okay, the TN was uh, throwing me. Um, uh, gotcha. But anyway, yeah, so so it's... I, that That is a nice, um, again, very understated memory. There's a reason why that disjunction feels even more, like, wrong. Right, um, the the dead silence and the beautiful surroundings, um, uh, yeah, yeah, um, and then away in the south, a dark patch appeared and grew and drove north like flying smoke in the wind. Immediately, to me anyway, this begins to feel almost. Oh, wait, hang on. I keep wanting, starting to say things, and then you guys say really brilliant stuff. Matt, you're right. Um, it's not just the birds. The holly leaves would be making some sound, right? Um, uh, the air is still as well as silent. Yeah, we get that reminder of the stillness of the air. Um, the brush of holly leaves, which are not silent, right? Because holly leaves are very are very stiff, right? Uh, stiff and spiny. Uh, so when they brush against each other, you can hear it. Um, uh, but yeah, you're, they're not hearing anything. So that the, the, the stillness, it's not only silent, it's also still, right? I like that. Um, but anyway, yeah, so many, you're all, you guys are, are talking about so many wonderful words and phrases from this sentence. This sentence is the real kicker of this whole paragraph, right? We get the ominous buildup, of Sam's feeling of the oppressiveness of the day, these really indirect but really powerful um, indicators of how deeply wrong this situation is. And then, away in the south, a dark patch appeared. 
and grew and drove north like flying smoke in the wind. Um, yeah, Carita, I drove is a fascinating word choice. Um, drove north. Um, now, it doesn't say and was driven north, right? So we don't have this as, uh, we don't have the sense of it's, it's being sent or it's being pushed. It drove north. Like, um, what does that convey? It's like driving a chariot, right? Um, uh, it, to me, that conveys, the word drove there, conveys that it's, it's, motion is purposeful, right? It's not just kind of billowing in the wind. It's, it's moving. Another thing, the comparison to like flying smoke in the wind um, one of the effects of flying smoke in the wind uh, is to make the wind visible. Normally, the wind is not visible. Um, but when you can see smoke, right? Um, how many times have you had the experience, like when there's uh, like a sort of um, sudden smoke, like maybe it might be the exhaust of a car um, that's not in an extremely happy, happy place at that moment. Maybe it's, uh, you know, like, you know, you're camping and you're riding a campfire or something like that. Anyway, there's sort of you're outside and there's suddenly a, a, a sort of a quantity of smoke, right? Um, have you ever had that experience where this cloud of smoke appears and then it starts drifting off, you know, like across the field and you didn't even realize the wind was blowing, right? But all of a sudden you're now like, oh, um, yeah, there's a breeze, right? Uh, the, the way in which that renders, like it draws your attention to something that you would otherwise sort of take for granted, right? Um, uh, so that's one sense, I think, of the dark patch driving north like flying smoke in the wind. It's like you're seeing a wind from the south coming towards you. It is somehow being made visible to you, right? Um, but again, this is not, it's not passive. It's active. It is driving north. And we have to remember what the word drive means. It means, of course, something very similar. We talk about driving a car. Um, that's, of course, the most common use of the word drive in our normal vocabulary. Um, uh, and that's fine. Like, that's, um, you know, that's a totally normal usage for us. And the, the usage for them is not that unusual. Remember Frodo um, saying, walking for pleasure, why didn't I drive? Right? Exactly like we might have used the word drive to drive a, a, a cart, right? Or, a, um, or to drive a wagon uh, or to drive a carriage. Um, would, uh, you know, they, they would use exactly that same word. Um, but, you know, driving, like um, another thing that drives is, um, yeah, for Thoughtless was saying a, a cattle drive, I'm thinking of like an invading army also drives uh, into a land. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, Flori says you could even drive a van back then, which threw me off <laughs> quite a bit. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, yes. Um, Amir being in the van uh, uh, is... I'm delighted to say that never I, that never gets less funny, but... Um, but yes, Bjarnasana, you're exactly right. Um, not just purpose and will, but force, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, as uh, Zeev on Twitch is saying, to push forward, exactly. Like you're 
driving cattle, right? Again, that that same that same sense of drive. Um, there's a there is a sense of 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 uh, force and invading uh, invading force, right? Um, it's the dark patch is not just approaching, right? The wind is not just billowing it in their direction. It is it is moving. It is driving. It is uh, it is it is invading in their direction. Um, and it's really vague. It's a dark patch. They can't tell what it is, but it appears in the south, and it grows and drove north like a flying, flying smoke in the wind. Um, yeah. Um, what is it? What do we think it could be? Right? I, I know we're going to find out what it is, but notice we haven't been told what it is. Um, in this sentence, within the context of this paragraph, this sentence as the culminating performance of this paragraph, right? Uh, sort of the capstone of this paragraph. Um, we are not told that this has anything to do with birds, right? Um, and yeah, Aranas, it looks like smoke, but doesn't behave like smoke. Can I also say that um, it's like that... Um, that also makes me think of the that sort of contrast between the dead silence and the bright sunny day, right? Um, this silent thing appears and moves. Uh, it hasn't broken the silence, right? Um, to be in this eerie silence, which is, uh, you know, f- making you aware of your own joints creaking, right? Afraid to even move. Uh, as Sam is, um, uh, feeling, tasting that dead silence all around him. And then you see this large, strange, equally silent thing, um, right, appearing on the horizon and growing as it moves towards you, uh, driving in your direction like it's after you, like it's looking for you, right? Um yeah, yeah. Um, uh, exactly, Trifle. All we know is it's dark and it's coming their way, um, which continues the creepiness. Um, significantly escalates the creepiness, right? Sam's response. What's that, Strider? It don't look like a cloud, said Sam in a whisper to Aragorn. He made no answer. He was gazing intently at the sky, but before long Sam could see for himself what was approaching. Flocks of birds, flying at great speed, were wheeling and circling and traversing all the land as if they were searching for something, and they were steadily drawing nearer. Um, yeah, absolutely, Fourth Dauntless, very good. We should also note that the flying smoke in the wind is entirely metaphorical, as there is no wind. Yeah, yeah, it's completely still, right? It's completely still. And of course, how much creepier does it make does it make it to realize that the what looks like flying smoke in the wind. Again, it's it's already kind of eerie as I said earlier when the wind is suddenly made visible to you, right? Um which it normally is not, right? But to see what looks like the wind heading towards you when you are perfectly aware that there is no wind, right? Oh, man. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. 
Um, and I agree, Gildalo and driving is also used to describe wind. You can have a driving wind. Absolutely. Um, but it's driving without the wind, right? Like the wind, but not the wind. Um, I love Sam's response. I love the combination of courage and sort of, I don't know what, honesty of Sam's words. On the one hand, Sam does not panic. Sam could get freaked out here, right? He could panic here. I, I mean, I could forgive him for panicking under these circumstances, right? Um, now, we don't know the exact tone of voice that he uses. We know that he whispers, right? But we don't know how panicked a whisper is his what's that strider, right? But I don't think, um, I don't think he's panicked because of that second statement. It don't look like a cloud. Now, again, there's, as I say, there's sort of an honesty to that, um, to that statement. Oh, by the way, okay. Here's Pixie. <laughs> she woke up. Um, we're going to put her down now. Oh, so that I can stretch out my hand. Um, but anyway, um, okay. Uh, I don't think he's panicking. There's a kind of honesty to it because he's not trying, he's not in denial, right? He could be like, that would be one way to respond to this situation to be like, I'm sure it's nothing. Right. Um, you, you could, you could, um, but Sam doesn't do that. Right. He admits like, okay, um, dark thing <laughs> moving North, like smoke on the wind. It doesn't look like a cloud. He's fishing, right? I, he has no idea what it could be. Um, and he admits he doesn't know what it is, right? Um, Aragorn doesn't answer. He was gazing intently at the sky. But before long, Sam could see for himself. Now, why doesn't, why doesn't Aragorn answer? Well... I think Aragorn doesn't answer because he's too busy trying to analyze the situation himself, right? Yeah, Arna says he doesn't know either. Exactly. He's he's thinking too, right? Um, Aragorn's silence is perhaps the most ominous silence of the entire uh, section here, right? Um, what is it? What's that? Aragorn, the greatest traveler of the age doesn't know what that is. Um, he's never seen anything quite like this before. Um, before long, Sam could see for himself what was approaching. Sam is able to make it out. Um, now, I think, this suggests to me, of course, I don't think that Aragorn is still wondering I think Aragorn can see also. Does he see sooner than Sam does? I'm not sure. I doubt it, right? Um, uh, Sam has sharp eyes, as we're going to be told later on. So um, I suspect that he and Aragorn 
probably figure out at the same time or able to 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 to, to detect at the same time um, what it what the dark patch actually is right that it's flocks of birds however Aragorn still doesn't say anything right um, because I think he's thinking um, what does it mean right um, Sam sees the fact the dark patch is flocks of birds flying at great speed. Um, but he doesn't understand. He doesn't, like, he doesn't, he doesn't have the context that Aragorn has, right? Aragorn has been creeped out all day, right? Sam's only just been picking up on what's been bothering Aragorn, even while everybody else... Again, remember the, the contrast here again and what that tells us about Aragorn. Sam has only been able to feel the dead silence, has only been able to perceive the oppression when everyone else was asleep, when everything about him is still, and he's only left by himself with a very silent Aragorn, right? And I love, I forgot who pointed it out. Somebody pointed out that, of course, um, Aragorn's feet or breathing is not making any loud noise, right? Uh, Sam is not aware of any noise coming from Aragorn, the only other waking person uh, who is with him, right? Um, which does suggest that Aragorn is, is keeping very, very still. Um, but um, Aragorn is here analyzing the situation, right? Um, in ways and from context, I think, um, that um, Sam is not able to figure out. Um, Okay. Flocks of birds, flying at great speed, were wheeling and circling, and traversing all the land as if they were searching for something, and they were steadily drawing nearer. Look at what we're told about the dark patch as it resolves itself. It's birds. Flocks of birds, plural. It was a dark patch which drove north like flying smoke in the wind. Um, the fact that it's not only birds, but multiple bur birds, right, um, suggests to me that another element of the flying smoke in the wind um, is the, you know, sort of like swirling and, uh, you know, kind of chaotic and differential movement of, uh, you know, of... of sort of wispy clouds in a relatively high wind, right? Um, this is not, the image here is not like a puff of smoke. Just, you know, so, I mean, I, again, I've, you've probably seen that too, right? When there's something like uh, maybe uh, firecrackers go off, right? And so there's a, there's a puff of smoke. And then that, um, uh, which I've, I always thought was so cool, when like that puff of smoke retains almost its perfect shape and just kind of floats off into the distance, right? I love it when that happens. But that happens at relatively low speeds of wind, right? Um, with the, you know, when wind is stronger and swirling, you know, the shape of it is constantly changing. And I think that's what we were supposed to be imagining there, um, given that the reality of it is not just a flock of birds, but multiple flocks of birds. And they're not all moving in harmony, right? Um, I think that's why we have plural flocks. Because you say like, well, okay, why would you say that if it's a like a big, huge flock of birds and um, 
you know, like, so it's huge. Like, you know, say there's like, you know, thousands of birds or whatever. Wouldn't you just call a group of a thousand birds a really big flock, right? Why would you call it multiple flocks? Well, I think you'd call it multiple flocks if there you see different groups of birds who seem to be doing separate things, right? It's not just moving in a patch. It looked like a patch from the distance, right? But closer up, it doesn't just remain a single patch. When when it resolves itself, they see there are multiple flocks of birds, each wheeling and circling and traversing all the land as if they were searching for something. So individual movements of flocks of birds and yet a concerted effort, right? Um, what does it mean to traverse all the land as if they were searching for something? It, it suggests how systematically they're moving, right? Um, they're not just, you know, a whole bunch of birds flying on a, you know, like broad path across and, and kind of moving chaotically as they, as they come across. They're systematically going up and down the land um, as, if they're, um, as if they're searching for something, right? Just like somebody would do if they were wanting to, um, you know, cover, uh, uh, again, their strategy behind this, it seems. Um, and they're wheeling and circling. Yes, both wheeling and circling. I saw somebody uh, pointing out. Yeah, because those are not the same thing. So a flock wheeling means taking a turn, right? Um, that's when like the, the flock goes up and then it pivots and turns. Um, the entire flock pivots and turns. Wheeling or circling means when the when the flock you know pauses in its forward movement entirely and circles over a particular spot, as if presumably right they're examining that spot um, with uh, with particularly care with particular care, um, and they're flying at great speed, right? This is not uh, some kind of lazy lackluster maneuver, right, that's going on here. Um, they are, uh, they're really moving. Now, it does invite the question, um, how could, um, right, they, yes, Josh, I agree. They fly as if the very whips of their masters were behind them. Um, yes, yes, they do. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, oh, Matt, I, I completely agree. Um, Matt says, when I was young, I saw flocks of birds migrating, stretching from one horizon to, the, to another. Uh, in Connecticut, there were trees on one side, but it went downhill, so they stretched off into the distance. It was an unnatural sight uh, to see a dark line of birds moving in unison in one direction. Uh, those birds doing a clear reconnaissance mission would have been frightening. Yes, yes. Um, agreed, agreed. Uh, this is not just... Um, yeah, Lupita, it is like carrying birds when they find a body, right? And uh, the circling, right? And um, Lupita, I think that that's a, a kind of significant, right? Um, traversing all the land as if they were searching for something. Well, what do you think they're searching for, right? I mean, when wild animals are searching... What are they normally searching for? They're normally searching for food, right? Um, so, and with this many birds, right? 
um, I mean, you don't have to be a Hitchcock, a Hitchcock fan um, to combine with the, the to, to combine the, the large quantity of birds um, with this unnatural coordination of their movements and then to see them, you know, uh, wheeling and circling, hovering, uh, you know, in what I am sure if I were beneath that, I would feel to be a threatening manner over my head. Right. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, so, um, that's got to be said. And remember, this is, you know, Sam's impression here. Sam doesn't know what kind of birds they are, right? He just says flocks of birds flying at great speed. Um, uh, notice we're not even told what color they are, other than the fact that we were told that it was a dark patch, right? Now, I'm going to assume that they're probably not hummingbirds, right? I'm going to assume that they're probably not like goldfinches or something cheerful and bright colored, right? Um, uh yeah, we know what birds they are. We will know, but we don't know yet. Sam doesn't know, is my point here, right? Um, and he doesn't even really attempt an identification. It's like, to him, that's not the important thing. Um, the main thing I think that Sam is struck by is this is a very remarkable sight. Very remarkable because of the quantity of birds. Very remarkable because of the way they're behaving, which is not normal for birds. And on top of all of the creepiness, uh, you know, being on edge with the creepiness, as Sam will have been, um, as we saw Sam being through that, uh, through that first paragraph, um, this has got to be genuinely unsettling. Now, yeah, uh, 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 Karita, you're certainly right. Um, I'm not saying that I think a swarm of hummingbirds acting like this would be a joke. I'm not saying I wouldn't find that really eerie as well <laughs> and that I might not fear for myself, but not in the same way. <laughs> like I, I, uh, um, yeah, yeah. It, the effect wouldn't be quite the same, I think. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but anyway, um, they're flying up from the south. What does that mean? But again, notice, these are not the questions that Sam is asking. Aragorn, who's not said anything, <clears throat> is, I think, clearly the one who has been, who is asking the questions that we're immediately looking for answers to. What are these birds? Where did they come from? And therefore, what conclusions can we hazard as to what they're doing and why they're doing it? Um, but Sam, but first we get Sam. First we see things from Sam's point of view. And the mere mystery of it. How easy would it have been just for Tolkien to say flocks of blackbirds? Right? Black flocks of birds, maybe. Or even flocks of crows. Sam's a gardener. He would have seen a crow before, right? Um, he might have thought maybe they look like crows or something. Um, 
but um, but that's not his experience. His experience, the identification of the birds, totally secondary to Sam here, right? He is too struck by the quantity of birds, the way that they're behaving, um, and how to, like, take in what's going on. Because, look, Sam is a gardener. Sam knows how birds behave. He knows that birds don't behave like this, right? This is not normal behavior. Um, a flock of birds may, as Matt was describing, may migrate. You, you might see a very tremendous cloud of birds uh, before. Um, my own primary experience with migratory birds was in uh, in Delaware and Maryland when I was living down there. Um, and, you know, we were in a a migratory track uh, down there as well. Um, and there were, I, I don't even know what kind of birds they were. I, you know, I guess I'm like Sam in that way, but I didn't know what kind of birds they were. Um, but they were small songbirds um, and they were huge flocks. Um, I, I was driving through cornfields every day, going to and from the college. And uh, someday they would just be, they would just blanket acres and acres of the ground. Right. Um, and sometimes they would all lift up at once and I would see them filling the sky. Right. And sometimes they would dip and swirl around, um, you know, spontaneously kind of, um, uh, you know, like somebody saw something. Right. And, uh, you know, made a dive for something. And then, you know, 800 of his friends followed him. But it turned out to be nothing. So they swirl back up. Um, but um yeah, it, it, it's it's eerie, but although I always really enjoyed that spectacle, it was always something I looked forward to. Um, I look forward less to the flocks of Canada geese who would take up permanent winter residence uh, nearby. But um, but anyway, um, yeah. So I um, I was always fascinated by watching the migrating birds. But again, you would never see them acting like this, acting purposeful. Um, what are they doing? Why are they doing it? And Sam cares more about that, right? Much more about that than he does. He's not even interested, It's like, you know, it seems, in what kind of bird it is. He's just trying to process um, why are there this many birds why are they acting like this? By the way, did you notice another thing that's not described here? Another thing, which is a funny thing to ask, right? Did you notice, do you notice what we don't, um, what we don't get? We don't get any sound. My experience with migratory birds is it's not silent, right? A huge flock of migratory birds, you can usually hear it going by. <clears throat> There's, um, they're fairly gregarious. Right. They 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 talk with each other. Right. You can hear the geese honking to each other. Um, yeah. The flapping at a minimum. Yeah. Though you have to get pretty close to hear the flapping. But uh, um, but you can hear them. Um, you, you can hear them uh, uh, often. Again, it depends on how, on what I mean, I suppose different species would uh, would 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 go differently. Um, but but again, think about um, the way in which this strikes this like the final step of eeriness what was one of the things that aragorn in particular was missing no birds right there's no birds no birds anywhere 
Um, and there are many birds at all seasons that you can hear in Holland, he says. The fact that we're hearing no birds is really weird. So if Sam has been reflecting, gosh, I wonder where all the birds are, right? If only there were some birds, then I would feel better, right? And then birds, lots and lots of birds hunting, I guess, searching for something, um, like such as it might be food and it might not. Um, exactly. A classic, be careful what you wish for. But yet, notice not only is it much, much more than he could have wished for, it's also, it doesn't help. It's, as far as we can tell, it's still silent. Right? There's no evidence that he's hearing anything from the distance. The chatter, you know, the, 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 the crow's, in large groups, do not tend to be quiet, um, in my experience. I've never been around an enormous uh, flock of crows. But yeah, crows, a group of crows together are not generally silent, right? Um, yeah, but um, but also remember they're still fairly far away. Again, I think a group of crows that loud, you'd probably, normally you would expect to hear something. Um, exactly, Chris. This would technically be a mass murder of crows. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> That's pretty good, Chris. I like that. I like that. That's the pun of the day, <laughs> right? Valsan suggests a genocide of crows. Uh, possibly. Possibly. I think that's the largest possible group of crows. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, but anyway, yeah. So again, this, this in so many ways, the spying of the crows, the return of the birds, not... Um, uh, not helpful, not alleviating the tension uh, that Sam has been experiencing um, this this uh, this this morning. And they were steadily drawing nearer. Now, they're flying at great speed. Um, so this might sort of sound at first as if, um, you know, they're like rushing straight towards them. Right. And so they only have seconds before the crows get there or whatever. Um, I certainly don't um, don't think that that's the case. Remember, they're wheeling and circling and traversing all the land. Um, so they, they're flying at great speed. They're not, their movements are not lazy, right? They're not just kind of like, you know, going around or, or like even a, you know, even a, a, you know, a buzzard or a vulture circling uh, potential food is circling fairly lazily, right? Fairly slowly. That's not what's happening, right? We're being invited to imagine them flying at great speed. So turning, wheeling, spinning around these like wheels of, uh, of, of, of crows, uh, turning rapidly and then breaking off and swirling around and, and moving systematically over the entire width of the landscape all around. Right. So they're going to take a while to get there because they're thoroughly searching the ground up and down. They're not headed on a beeline straight towards where their camp is. Right. Um, yeah, but the quite ominous, and they were steadily drawing nearer, right? They're not rushing near again. It's not, they're not headed straight towards you. Um, but this is the, well, it would be the sound of inevitability if they were making a sound, but they're not, it's the silence in which inevitability is perceived, apparently. Um, but, um, yeah, but yeah, the birds clearly have not seen them yet. And also, by the way, 
clearly don't know like where they are, right? It's not like their location has been betrayed or something like that. And that's a little comfortable, right? Um, I mean, okay, maybe not comfortable. There's nothing that's really comfortable about the situation. But um, uh, but again, at least um, this is not like a, an execution squad, right, that's been dispatched uh, uh, to to where they are, right? Um, uh, yeah, no, they're, um, they're still searching for them, which means they still might be able to hide. Um, but um, yeah, yeah. Now... Uh, that was another question that I was going to answer. Somebody else was bringing up something. Hang on. Lost my train of thought. Um, what was, what was the thing? Sorry. I was going to address it. Um, oh yeah. The birds, the silence, the, the, the other birds, the non-creepy birds, the birds who are only creepy, who are only contributing to the creepiness by their absence. Why do you think they're not singing? We're not going to get much more explanation than this. We're going to learn more about what the birds are, right? Aragorn is going to tell us he knows enough to put together some things, right? He recognizes these birds. He knows where their native habitat is, Um and that combined with what he sees of their movement is going to suggest to him several things, right? Um, but why are there no birds? Yes, it's possible that the other birds have fled, have run away from um, uh, what the oncoming bird. Again, I don't think that this is just they fled from the hobbits, right? Gandalf jokes about that, but that's clearly not true. The silence is new. It's not something when they they didn't. He's not been noticing it for days. It's only just been this morning that he's noticed it. They have been in Holland. The birds of Holland has been have been exposed to the presence of hobbits for a, a while, and they were fine with it, right? For some time until a particular point arrived at which they were all like, "We're out of here," right? Um, yes, within the last few hours. Something has spooked the birds. That is clearly what has occurred. What is it? And how did it spook them? Because here's the thing. Um, here's the thing that I really love. <laughs> it's Saruman, says Bjorning. Yeah, so I love the mystery here. There is so much that is just flat unexplained in this whole section, right? What do we think is happening? So it's possible, of course, that a very large pack of crows acting this unusually could spook the local birds. Like if I were, you know, uh, a robin, right, um, who was uh, uh, who had a nest in one of these holly trees and I somehow detected an enormous large, um, you know, uh, murder, a mass murder of crows, right, coming up from the south and covering all the land, I might keep a low profile too for a little bit, right? Just kind of lie low in the nest, stay quiet, don't draw attention to yourself and hope that they pass by, right? I, 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 um, I, you know, it's not that I can't understand that or that I think that that's unlikely. But here's what I do think is unlikely. They do it hours before the crows are in sight. Hours. 
before. It's not just like, oh, the birds somehow become aware of the encroaching crows before Aragorn and Sam do. Um, the silence began while they were still talking and chatting and laughing together in the early morning, right? Um, then the others went to sleep. I don't know how long it took them all to fall asleep, right? But they eventually have fallen asleep. And now Sam has been on watch with Aragorn for some, again, an indeterminate amount of time. But, you know, off the top of my head, from based on the descriptions that we've seen, if I had to guess, I would put it at at least four hours since the silence fell, maybe longer. Just a guess, but that seems to me somewhere around the time frame that we're being given here. So, the, surely the Robins, the local Robins and, and, and Goldfinches and whatever, um, did not drop into fearfulness, a fearful and watchful silence four hours before an enormous pack of crows enters the area? How would they, how would they possibly know that the crows were coming? Right? This is not a question of, um, you know, them being able to see them further or kind of detect them exactly, right? I mean, it's possible, I suppose, right? It's maybe possible, but I don't, I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, I, right, the spy crows have their own spies. Who's spying on the spy, on the spy crows? Um, uh, yes, I think, in a, I, I think you're essentially correct, Christopher, that, that I'm arguing for a spiritual dimension to this encounter that we won't ever learn the truth of. Yeah, I, I, I think I am. Uh, Bjarnasoner is comparing it to the the kind of spiritual power projection the Nazgul engage in, right, when they're surrounding a house. Much more mild, right, but kind of like that. Um, Valori points out how Sam feels the silence, right? Again, it's not just, it's not only that it's quiet and that the quietness is, makes you uncomfortable, right? Um, there seems to be something in the air. Something which the local fauna picked up on certainly before the hobbits did, even before Aragorn did, right? Aragorn only picked up on it after they'd picked up on it, right? Um, uh, there is something now, um, JJ is remembering the, uh, the way in which the three hunters were spiritually impacted by, which was the will of Saruman, right? At that point. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, That's a kind of thing. I mean, that sort of thing does happen. Um, and Madagot, I totally agree with you that animals are good at picking up on bad vibes atmospherically. Yeah, yeah, no, they absolutely, they absolutely do. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, Arnold was asking, could we consider silence a weapon of the enemy? Um well, gosh, in some sense, yeah. Um, Arnold, remember, um, 
till the Dark Lord lifts his hand over dead sea and withered land, right? Apart from the fact that I don't think he's talking about Sauron there. Um, maybe he is. But um, in any case, um, it gives me that sort of sense, right? That sort of totally nihilistic sense. So is um, silence associated with that same kind of, uh, you know, deadness, witheredness, um, you know, this sort of the final nihilistic... Uh, victory of evil I was going to say but I feel like you have to put victory in air quotes right when you talk about that at that point um, but um, uh, but anyway um, yeah yeah um, yes Nancy I do agree with you that there's a reason they call it dead silence yeah exactly um, and as for you know Matt your question if the animals were stilled why wasn't the company um, I, I think that's just like a, a sensitivity thing, right? Or here's another way of thinking about it, Matt. Remember that Gandalf in particular seems to be actively cultivating that spirit of, um, of hope, hope and fellowship, you know, friendship, joviality, fun, right? He's making jokes and he's, um, encouraging them to think positively, right? Um, and I wonder if, I don't mean this literally, but like metaphorically, Aragorn has to leave the circle of the Dell, right? He has to leave the place where the good vibes are being generated, right, in the camp and go outside the camp. Um, like he has to go outside of the, uh, the immediate radius, right, of the, of the good vibes, before he can really pick up the bad vibes, right? Um, so in that sense, I think... Um, and again, I, I, I'm not wanting to push on that too hard, but I can't avoid the fact that Gandalf is clearly trying to generate good vibes. I'm not hugely comfortable with good vibes and bad vibes. I'm not sure that... It certainly doesn't really capture the gravitas of either side of that. Um, but... Um, but I'm not going to lie, it kind of works. <laughs> so it's, it's, it could be worse. Um, but, um, um, yeah, yeah. But now, Fourth Dauntless, now they have been stilled. They're concealing themselves and working not to be noticed um, or to disturb the silence. Yes, um, exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, Okay. Now, oh, interesting. Nancy's wondering if Gandalf is using his ring. Um, I, I kind of think Gandalf's ring is on a slow burn most of the time, honestly. Um, but, um, uh, but anyway, really hard to say for sure. Um, um, you like that dress, Nick? The slow burn, right? I, I, I. I liked it. I liked it. Um, <laughs> anyway, what um, it works. It's good. It's it's just it's fine. Um, no, Madagot, I don't think using a ring in the presence of the One Ring would be risky. Not unless the person who contains the One Ring has claimed it and is trying to master it and use it. Right. Um, that would clearly be the big risk. Um, Gandalf would certainly be revealed. 
to Sauron if Sauron were to have the One Ring right next to him in that way, right? And he were to be using it. But um, uh, but no, Frodo's not going to pick up on him that way. Um, but uh, anyhow, okay. In some ways, I think the question is now, uh, so where, to go, to go back to the vocabulary that I both can't fully approve but also cannot resist, where are the bad vibes coming from exactly, right? So if we sort of return to that question, we'll end with that question. Um, well, there's only a few candidates, right? One candidate is the ring. Um, they're caring about with them a source of some pretty substantially bad vibes. But as I said last time, I don't think that can be the case because they've had the ring with them the whole time. Um, and the ring, the, the birds have only just recently um, fallen into their dead silence. So I don't think it's the ring. The ring didn't suddenly become more evil. It's not been invoked or anything like that. Um, but um, other than the ring, I agree with you, Bjorning, Sauron and Saruman, seem to be the only other real candidates for this. And, um... Huh. Well, that's interesting, Lincoln. I don't suppose... I don't suppose that we, um... Uh, can absolutely rule out. So, L Lincoln says, Karathras knows they're coming. Um, he's preemptively discouraging them. Okay. I'll keep him in the mix. I kind of doubt it. I doubt he is that preemptive, really. Um, here's why I doubt that. Now, this is hard because we've not yet gotten to the spirit of Karathras, right? So we have almost no data on this yet. So I'm kind of jumping the gun in some way. But it, it's worth raising it, I think, here. It's, it's worth considering. Um, I... The main reason I don't think it's Karathras is that Karathras seems to be more local than that. Um, yeah, Lincoln says he was kidding. No, I, 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 I don't think it's a joke. I don't think it's a joke. There is another malevolent spirit nearby. Um, there's totally a malevolent spirit nearby. Um, but yeah, Chris was just thinking the same thing. I think he's too local. Not only do I think he's far too local to be drawing birds from far away, much less from Dunland, um, but I think... He is, um, I suspect he's too local even to, um, I'm going to put it this way. I don't think that Karathras's range is significantly larger than Tom Bombadil's, right? Um, we know that Tom Bombadil has given us this example of this powerful spiritual being who's there, who exists in the landscape, but who has restricted himself to a, a set geographical bound, right? Um, and I definitely uh, think that Karathras has restricted himself to definite um, uh, geographical bounds. Um, exactly. And I am also not sure that Karathras cares much about what goes on outside of his borders. Absolutely. Um, okay. Uh, so, and it, no, so I guess it, I actually, I totally do think that's worth considering, but I don't think so. As for Saruman or Sauron, well, Let's wait to draw a firm conclusion there until we get more data. Um, but honestly, I think the data is ambiguous here. Um, I could make a case in either direction, I think. Um, 
but uh, we'll uh, we'll see. Um, <laughs> right? Yeah. Almeria says, right, clearly the stranger in the Ring of Power show is Karathras, right? No, I hear you. Um, no one would have seen that one coming, right? The clever people who think he's Tom Bombadil um, think they have the most off-the-wall interpretation, right? But I'm not sure anymore, Almeria. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Uh, okay. Um, let's wait until we get a little bit more data before we try to decide whether it's Sauron or Saruman. But I will say this. I will draw this one conclusion from this whole passage here today. Um, I think we, we are seeing the will of one of them or other at work, right? And again, I come back, Karita, to the observation you made about the verb drove, right? Um, there is something driving these crows. There is something that has... There is some presence. There is some will. There is some attention, right, that is being placed here, um, which the local birds can feel. Um, and they are watchful and fearful. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Um, so yeah, let's 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 hang on and see what we get next time. Of course, we're not really. I don't think we're ever going to be able to definitively say, um, and it's never going to come up again. We're never going to learn exactly what happened here. Um, but um, yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. You're right, Dolores Struck. There is a kind of parallel between my approach here and what I do with poetry. First, let's do sounds, consonants, and endings, and then only at the very, very, very end do we get to the why. Well, yeah. Yeah, You. I mean, look, it's not hard, right? First, you gather your data, then you analyze your data, and then you draw conclusions. That's how it works, right? So that's definitely what I'm wanting to do here. Um, uh this is true in scientific inquiry as well, of course, but I think it's, well, in my opinion, it's easier to slip into. I'm sure that there's many a scientist who's found it easy to slip into this error in scientific inquiry as well. But the error I'm referring to is developing a pet theory that you're deeply attached to, right? A conclusion, a reading that you're deeply attached to, and then going to the text to try to fit it, right? To make it fit with the text to try to searching around looking for evidence to support your pet theory. Right. Um, that's so easy to get drawn into doing that. Um, but it's such a bad way to read texts. Right. Uh, we can't really do that. Um, so yeah, I do try to hold off. That's, it is, it is a, it is a goal. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> right. Fort Thoughtless says it's definitely a thing in science. New ideas only gain acceptance once the adherence to the old one uh, have all died off. Yeah, exactly. I know. But even even apart from the like letting go of old uh, theories uh, in order to make way for new ones for which there's substantial evidence. That I mean, I, clearly a thing. And not 
unrelated to the kind of uh, thing that I'm talking about here. Instead, what I'm talking about is, um, coming in with a conviction of what the answer to your inquiry is and, you know, browbeating and harassing your data set until it tells you what you want it to say, right? Uh, until it, until it, uh, it, uh, behaves and clearly supports the conclusion that you're attempting to prove. Um, uh, it's easy to get sucked into that process when re, you know when analyzing uh, books or people, for that matter, or things people say. Um, really easy to get drawn into that really really quickly, right? <laughs> I just said AKA the internet, exactly, exactly. Um, but um, but yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so yes, trying to trying to trying to avoid that, trying to avoid that. Um, but, um, anyhow, okay. Um, let us, but we're, uh, here I was thinking for a little while, maybe we'll end a little early tonight, but, uh, no, we will not end a little early tonight. Um, we'll stop there, uh, for the evening tonight, uh, for our book discussion. Thanks everybody for joining us. It's going to be field trip time now, uh, for those of you who can, um, who can, who can join us here. We'll get things ready. Laura, do I have your audio here this evening? Uh, I think so. How am I doing? Good. Okay, I can hear you. Great. And I think everybody else can hear you. Uh-oh. Did, did my game just crash? Funky. Okay. I didn't do it. You didn't do it? Nope. Okay. All right, hang on a second. Um, Got to log in. There we go. Okay. Um, all right. So tonight we're heading back to the Yondershire. Mm -hmm. Um, I must have logged me out right as I was shifting things over. Oh, oh well. dear. Okay. Um, back to the Yondershire to look at more ruins. So the first ruin that we were looking at last week. Oh, wait, actually, before everybody goes, I forgot to mention. I'm not going to be able to do Tuesday night next week. I have a, a thing. Um, so I'm not... This week, I can't do... Uh, tomorrow. So I'm, I'm not going to be doing Mythgard Academy tomorrow night, but I could do Exploring the Lord of the Rings tonight, obviously. Um, next week, it's going to be backwards. So I won't be able to do Tuesday night, but I will do... Uh, we will start through the Looking Glass on Wednesday night. So just to... Uh, did you already head out there? Oh, wait. We're waiting for you to log back in. Yeah, I'm sorry. No, I'm still, I'm still logging in. I'm almost there. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. There we go. Here we are. Which is why I think you weren't able to get me in the raid before. There we go. Huh. Weird. Okay. Oh, there we are. Oh, so that was just lagging? Strange. Oh, weird. Like you disappeared. Huh. 
Some strange uh, things going on with my. Landreval's been having some lag problems of late. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got reduced awareness. So yeah, I, I just had the quest show up about 15 seconds after I hit the button. Um, all right. Let us, um, as usual, head back to No Bottle, which is fortunately a really nice and convenient central location. And then take a horse to where? I think we can probably go back to... Well, let's see. Let's look at the map here when we land. At least the Andachar is not on one of the known bad servers. One of the dirty 30s, as we like to call them. Okay. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, if you're on Landerball and you do slash L-O-C for location, if your server is a 30, 31 to 30 whatever, it'll lag from here to Mars. I see. see. Let's see. Okay, so we're going to Bar Faroth there, which is just to the north northeast of Longcleave. But I think I want to go to the old links again. And I want to go to Tyrehad where we were last time and move around from there rather than scaling up from Longcleave. So okay. let's do that. Let's do that. So let's, which uh, stable is that? So that's the, um, what you call it. Um, it's the Borrower's uh, Way. Borrower's Way, yeah. Way. That's the one. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. Sounds good. So yeah, when like I remember reading the bit about the Kerbane as a kid and thinking about uh, all those clouds of sterling, uh, starlings that we'd see all the time in um, Northern Virginia among all the buildings and stuff, and just these weird oily clouds with little streaks of purple that would just turn into the most fantastic shapes. It was kind of stressful. Right. But also beautiful. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, like huge crowds of birds are are really stunning and beautiful and fascinating until they become yeah. terrifying. <laughs> yeah, well, right. yeah. They're all fluffy and cute until the talons come near your eyeballs. You know? Right. Exactly. I, exactly. I can't even imagine like our Oz friends who have to deal with swooping season. Right, right. Like, they know the true horror of birds. I have a friend <laughs> who is a an apprentice falconer in the UK. Um, she sends us pictures of her her friends. Hmm. They look yeah, quite I scary. I just got my little wee duckies in the backyard. <laughs> we had to trim their feathers because you know migration season is coming, and we didn't want them to get any ideas. Right, right, right. Especially with some of the neighbors dropping by when they were on their way south. Although we have a bunch of falcons in my neighbor's yard, it's really funny. You'd see all these, all these flocks of geese flying overhead, and then all of a sudden they just pull up real sharp oh, and go, "No, nope. the wrong way." Yeah, sorry. I just realized I was going the wrong way. I was enjoying yeah. the view of. I found what I was actually heading towards was Anuminus itself, rather than uh, this other ruin over here. So, yeah. apologies. So the party palace. There is Anuminus. a Numenorean influences then. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um. Anyways, oh, okay. Oh no, the seagull stop at Naomi outposted. <laughs> that song is such a bop. Yeah. So this um, uh, so this ruin that we explored last time was we decided definitely uh, an early Arnorian sort of pleasure palace here. 
right on the uh, southern outskirts. But it's interesting to me that we have seen, like in the Shire proper, we don't we see very few, if I'm recalling correctly, very few old and numinous ruins, right? Yeah. We see a lot of Arnorian ruins. Yes. Um, here and there, but we see very few, you know, a, a numinous time, um, pre-Civil War ruins. And so it looks from a distance, the glimpse we get of the tower here. So now I know we've we've uh, been through here and kind of glanced at this before, um, but I wanted to, when we were at the uh, Mythmoot one, we came up here and saw it. Um, but so I'm, I'm wanting to, what I'm wanting to do now is kind of get a picture of the region. Because, okay, that last place looked like it could have been... Uh, like a private mansion, right? Oh, yeah. It would have been a large stately mansion, but it could definitely have been the, um, you know, the, the summer palace of some rich nobleman. As soon as we get into sight of this one, it is clear this is so much more than that. This is a city. This is not a house. Oh, yeah. Um, it is also just as clearly from the same time period. Look at those nice... Uh, four spiky bits at the top of the tower, right? Which is a, um, you know, a clear. Oh, there's my cursor. Okay, uh, a clear indicator, right? European voltage. Got it. Yeah, we still get the uh, upward pointing stars, starting the big upward pointing star there, which is weird, right? Well, we were were talking about, we saw some echoes that would go down to Gondor maybe later. Maybe this is a precursor to the star. But my theory was it was on a, maybe. My my theory was was, uh, it was a function on some, it had some sort of metal axis or something. And then it just got, you know, top heavy and flipped over. (laughs) Well, I mean, I think the symbolism is clearly Numenorean symbolism. So I would have expected the upward pointing star to be significantly later historically. Yeah. Not just thinking about the star shining upon the eye, the land of the star. Um, but, um, yeah. Um, but all of this stuff, I mean, look, we get the, you know, our classic, um, uh, Honestly, I'm so sick of looking at the underside of my horse. Um, we get the... Where are we? Over here. Yeah. Um, we get that four-panel story of the fall of Numenor here, right, that we've seen many times, but almost always in those early stages of Numenorean construction, right? Um, yeah, yeah. So... I think clearly early that large blocks of stone, right? As opposed to sort of the sort of smaller, but we do get some smaller bricks as we can see here. But, but again, it still, it doesn't have the look and feel of later, of the later architecture. But okay. So if we, we assume this is from the same period as the pleasure house that we saw the pleasure palace we saw over there. Yep. What do we think is going on here? Well, Not just that's... here specifically. Here we have some kind of hall. Yep. Big, huge, columned portico here. 
in front of it, the big tower with the pointy bits up above, probably were other towers with pointy bits that have since fallen, huge courtyard down here with... Oh, it goes over a river. Yes. Yes, this is the, the right. This is that one. I remember it's a ford. being there before, but yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I think all of this sort of wall of stuff that we're seeing facing us here, it looks like residents, presumably residents, yeah. maybe even carved into the side of the into the side of the hill. Um, sorry, it's hard for me. I, I, I still have like mouse issues um, with my interface here. And um, it's hard for me to both run around and look around at the same time uh, in the way that I'm attempting to do. Um, but okay, can we get into... Yeah, here we go. Okay. So I'm guessing that the ones on the, the north face, so we've got basically this north face and then all of this open courtyard area and then we've got some buildings over on the southern side like that big hall over there so I'm guessing that the southern side is is the more uh, sort of public buildings while the north face up here yeah is where see like there too up um, on the uh, what is it western shore of this river here Mm -hmm. Um, I think uh, once again we're seeing residences here. Um, so this is a whole suburb, a whole innuminous suburb here. Uh, movie Aristotle is asking, do I think they had tunnels through the mountain to get to innuminous? I wouldn't think so, as we're from here, it's it's a fair bit. It's like, we can see it on the map, right? Even dim is, or not even dim. Innuminous um, is over here in the, sort of in the right upper right-hand corner of the map. Um, yeah. Uh, you can just see the shadow of the city on the map right there, which I totally didn't notice until somebody pointed it out last time. Um, yeah, this, this isn't a good river for river travel. There are a lot of waterfalls on this route mm-hmm. that go to no bottle. Mm-hmm. Scenic, but, um, uh, scenic, but, um, not, uh, uh, not navigable, really. Uh, not um, unless so they've it's... invented canal locks, which we have no evidence of. Right. Tarhad here that we were looking at last time, the palace, does look like it could have been something that somebody, maybe the king or, or, or somebody, would, you know, travel over <clears throat> from Anuminous, you know, for, um, you know, a few weeks in the summer or whatever, right? Um, to get away from the city and um, be there in the country and enjoy the beautiful views and the open green fields. Um, here up in Barfaroth, it seems to be... Um, it's it's a little further away, yeah. And it really does seem to be a suburb, but it's interesting to me that it's still hugging the northern cliffs as it's doing, right? I mean, we can see. What's this quest item? Also, cask, chest, a little chest there. Um. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you wonder if there's some overland paths to Lake Evendim. Right. I'm sure there would have been a road. I mean, obviously, you. I'm sure you had to have been able to get there from here, right? Um, and it's possible there could be a tunnel again. I'd be a little surprised if there were a tunnel all the way through. But um, but perhaps there could be a tunnel from here just, like, through to the northern side of the mountains, and then you, you know, take the road once you get, you know, along the 
lake uh, once you get to the other side of the mountains. Maybe. I don't know. Um, but yeah, as I say, I think that this is, um, I think that this is a, this is definitely a city. But it shows the importance of proximity to Enuminous in the sense that, I mean, look, we're looking out. Okay, we're not currently at this moment looking out. Or let me see if I can get to a lookout point. That's actually one thing that's been no, um, not very visible is views, right? So let's well, here's a view. Yeah, the other one had a spectacular view, this one. Yeah, and they really leaned into it, right? They had that whole picnic area up there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. This is, this is a nice view. It is a nice view, though a little more rugged, right? Um, you don't have that road going around the bottom either, so it's not like you can see anyone coming. Um, right. They wouldn't be able to come up the river going that fast either, probably. Right. But yeah, no, I'm primarily thinking about the temptation to move down into the Shire, right? Um, uh, oh, the drow snake, the statue by the pool, that is totally a Lendl. Um, I remember because I used to carry that statue in my pocket at one point. Oh, yeah. When you assemble all the pieces and... Yeah, that's Elendil holding up the, what's it called, um, thing, gem, thing that's totally not a Silmaril. Um, Palantir? No, the thing that oh. you had to get to reforge the sword blanket. Oh, uh, the Silithar. Silithar, yes, you. exactly, thank that's you. the thing. I believe that's what he's holding up. Yeah, there, yeah. Cool. If I remember correctly, it was in the context of the Silithar quests in Evendim that we ran into those and indeed reconstructed several of those statues. Um, but um, Narsil. Yeah. Anyway, we haven't seen any clear evidence. There, might, it might have happened, and we just aren't seeing the you know the evidence didn't survive. Um, but we don't see any evidence that I recall of the. Numenorians of this era, right? The Arnorians of Enuminous, um, settling the Shire, even though they're looking down upon it and it's quite a tempting looking land. This is a little bit less tempting than the other one. Um, but, yeah, um, this would require a lot of work to clear all those trees. You got a river you exactly. can use, a lot of hilly ground, probably not very good farming soil because it's not level. This exactly. Looks like a pain you, in the butt. Yes, you could imagine in Tyrhad the people looking out over those beautiful green fields, just enjoying the beautiful green fields, right? Because there they were in their in their you know, having brunch on their you know on the patio of their pleasure Brand mansion, um, you know, and mimosas presumably. Um, yes. Whereas here, they're looking at this more rugged terrain. The people, which presumably would have been many, who would have lived here. Um, you know, perhaps might have been less tempted to move down the rocky river valley here. Possibly, I don't know. Yeah, um, this is uh, this is more hot cocoa with whiskey in it and less mimosa. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Not really, not really mimosa territory. You're saying? No, probably yeah. not. Although, probably, you know, you get you you say this is a suburb. You get the feeling there'd be a lot of uh, merchants and crafters here. You got wood to work with, stone to work with. That's what the um, hobbits are for down the hill. 
Yeah, I wonder if there is any exploitation of, you know, how much exploitation, because we know that happened with the Numenorians, exploitation oh, yeah. of local um, uh, local resources. Uh, not of local inhabitants. This would have been well before the hobbits settled the mm -hmm. Shire, so there wouldn't have been hobbits living here in the Shire, um, uh, yonder or otherwise, at the time when this place was built. Because we're talking about, when we talk about the pre-Civil War era, we're talking the... You know, the first 500 years-ish, right, yeah. of uh, the Kingdom of Arnor um, in the Third Age. Um, so, um, yeah, yeah. Um, so that Noldoran streak might have run with them a bit, you know? Right. You mean like, the party houses, right? Oh, no, I was thinking with the crafts. It was always oh, the craftsmen, right, right, right. Making things and crafting things. And right. this place doesn't have a lot for, I mean... There could be. I mean, we're near mountains, so presumably there's dwarves around here somewhere. But right, and maybe this is just like an arts colony or something. Right, right, exactly. Um, and Narofend, I agree with you that um, um, I can easily imagine them hunting, uh, them hunting from here. Oh Absolutely. yeah. Absolutely. Um, Considering one of the doors we can see, yes. Oh yeah, there's a wolf right here, even. Well, no, there's a door that leads someplace. Mentions hunting. I want to try to remember where it is. Is there a quest area in here? Yeah, there is actually. In the back, there's a, a room that you, I think you need a quest to get into. No. Yeah. Presumably. But it mentions hunting. Guessing. Yes, I do seem to recall trying to get into one of these doors last time. Okay. I don't know why y'all follow me. I'm just trying to remember. think you know where you're going. Exactly. More fool us, I guess. Oh, there's a, a quest goblin here. Yeah, that's a door. And oh, nope, nope, we go on inside. Oh, oh, hang the on. hunter's hall. Oh, it's the hunter's hall, is it? Okay, I'm gonna see this. Oh, and it's sunny. oh, it's a quest goblin Ooh. corpse. Okay, all right, what do we there's see inside? A numinous plaque thingy Ooh. up here. Oh, ah. it's very shiny in here. Misty. Look at how sparkling the marble floor is beneath the, you know, there's det detritus of course, but beneath the detritus, man, it's sparkling. This is... It's almost opalescent. Yeah, I'm 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 dazzled in here. Wow, what a gorgeous place. It's tiled, too. Yeah, yeah I know. the power washer. The designs are really fascinating. Yeah. Look at the Feels a bit Greek. I you think know, that's intentional for sure. Yeah, the Anuminous stuff always felt a little bit like Byzantine to me. Yeah, Romanesque. Yeah. Mediterranean. Okay, what do we got? We got wargs oh, the beautiful in here. Who's this dude? Oh no, that's not a warg. It's just a. It's just a, that's a faithful dog. Okay. Oh, and it's a puppy. Okay, on Thondir. Thorvalian. Right. Oh, is there another dude? Oh, sorry. Sorvelon. Sorvelon. Sorvelon? I don't know. I don't know what the origin is. Oh, of the dog? Ah. Of the dog's name. Oh, right. There we go. Sorry, I didn't have floating names on, so I wasn't, uh, I wasn't seeing. Yes, you're right, Praise. Uh, Thorvelon here is somewhat different from oh, my dog, Pixie. Oh, he's a big, looking boy. My dog, Pixie. Oh, Poor good. girl. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Um, 
Yes. Fortunately, Pixie has moved from her uh, her other favorite place to lie when I'm doing class, which is right Aww. on the floor, practically under the rollers of my chair. Um, oh, so, dang, yeah. So that, like, I always am, like, paranoid and can't, like, move my feet. Uh, oh, I know. I got, like, I got my, my six-year-old has hair that is three feet long, and their favorite place to, is to be under the desk with their head on the floor and the hair just trailing out. Yeah. Like tree yeah. roots near near the near the wheels, and I'm just saying this is going to end in tears every single time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, okay, well, this place is cool. Um, what else? All the else rebel? And, and it proved your theory about this being a hunting lodge. Yeah, oh, well, yeah. I mean, at least it's used for that now, right? But if this were, I'm looking. What I'm looking around for are sort of signs of its original usage. Um, but there's very everywhere. little that we can see very clearly. This um, reminds me of the um, the, the, the uh, underground garden in Moria with all the trees in the courtyard and the stone ceiling. Although, yeah, it looks like the ceiling would have been closed. This would have been an indoor garden. But possibly right. the trees came here later. The trees probably weren't. Hey, um, uh, sorry, missed the name. What's the name of that person? Um, Arno Lestari? Anyway, love your cloak, by the way. The bee cloak, loving it. Oh, Gorgeous cloak. Bee cloak. I love the love bee, the bee, bee cloak. cloak. Yeah, that's really nice. Um, yes, yeah, so we've got trees growing in here. Um, uh, they probably tree... weren't here to begin with. Yeah, I, I'm thinking not. I mean, it's been thousands of years, so yeah. plenty of time for any number of trees to have grown up inside here. Um, as you say, that gap in the ceiling, clearly not original. Um, so, uh, although, look at those, look like the, the rebar sticking out there, right? Doesn't it look, I don't I doubt it was actually rebar, but um, doesn't, it, um, doesn't it suggest that, well, but the hole is so irregular, like, surely... I mean, there could have been a skylight or something, but um, I don't know. Like, I can't make up yeah. my mind. On the one hand, it looks like the, I mean, the, the pieces of metals or stone, probably metal, left sticking out suggest that there was like some kind of doming skylight there. In that kind the, of went kablooey. Yeah. Right, exactly. That's just kind of gone. But if so, what was it shaped like? Presumably not that weirdo, irregular shape, right? But how yeah, was it shaped then? I don't really know. Well, those might have been the structural walls that were holding it up. They were once vertical, and then when the dome collapsed, they tipped over. Maybe. Maybe. This um, guy in the middle here looks, on the, on the main hall, though, it looks like an earthquake. It looks like the walls got physically moved aside. How much do we know about the plate tectonics of Middle Earth? Well, funny you should mention that. Um, at a uh, at the Rings of Power screening in Salem, New Hampshire last Wednesday, I um, ran into uh, Mitch from Alberta, Canada, who gave a talk on the plate tectonics of Middle Earth at New London Moot back in 2018, um, of course which was you did. <laughs> fantastic. 
fantastic. So he was looking at the, the primarily the map of Middle Earth and the geological structures that are suggested there, and he mapped like what the tectonic plates would have had to look like in order to um, going mostly on the mountain ranges. Um, it was um, uh, so he he mapped like where the tectonic plates plates would be and what kind of um, uh, what kind of uh, uh, you know I don't what, what's the noun I don't know enough about plate tectonics the place where the plates meet and they interact with each other in different ways right um, subduction zones yeah those different those different zones yeah exactly so he was talking about the different kind like the ways and we based upon the terrain what kind of conclusions we could draw about the plate tectonics of Middle Earth it was really interesting it was, it was an awesome awesome talk um, but um, uh, but anyway, yeah, so I, I just ran into him. Like, I just literally ran into uh, to him and his wonderful wife, uh, the two of them, who originally invited me to speak to their college uh, Tolkien club at the University of Alberta back in, like, 2009 or 2010. It was ages and ages ago. Like, they've... Uh, um, you know, so I've I've uh, known these wonderful people for more than a, d a decade, right? And I've been uh, keeping up with their careers through graduate school, and they're now uh, finished graduate school and going back. It's really fun. But anyway, so yeah, I just ran into uh, them, and it makes me think of the plate yeah. tectonics in Middle Earth. So yes. of, someday of I'm going to see if I can get Mitch to record yeah. that talk, and and uh, we can uh, we can put it up somewhere. I'd love that. That's cool. I'd like to see it. Although uh, it, I don't know if my theory holds because though there are no cracks in the walls or the floor to reflect the ones in the ceiling. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I, I like my original theory that these were one vertical walls that turned in on themselves after something went kablooey. Right. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. The, um, I think Fonstad also had some things, uh, a couple of maps about the plate tectonics in the Atlas of Middle Earth. Yeah, yeah, I know the Atlas of Middle Earth is fantastic. Um, okay, I'm not seeing much that's very distinctive. What I was looking for, what I was kind of hoping for, was some kind of distinctive carving or something. That old or, banner is interesting. Yeah, I mean, we've seen Hunter's Lodges before, and they had like racks for bows and and animal heads being displayed, or trophies commemorating hunts, or horns or all sorts of stuff and there's nothing like that it's either all been looted or disintegrated or it was never here yeah and i mean that's gonna you know a lot of that stuff is gonna go away over the course of thousands of years for sure um but I, what i was hoping for was some kind of like stone carving or something yeah. you know to well, we got the boats and we got some really janky banners over here which must have been made of really good cross cloth that they're still here yeah, yeah. The and the the ship, of course. This is like ye old Numenorean ship, um, like we see in a Numinous, right? So this is it's a. Got, it's got fabric on the sails, though. It does. It just like the ones in a Numinous do, um, and just like the blue fabric that we still see them using down in um, down in Gondor, right? Down mm -hmm. in. Uh, um, like Kalanhad and and cities like that, as Dol I Yeah, down near yeah, Dol Amroth, of course, especially. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, but this this is clearly this clearly marks it, not only as Numenorean ex explicitly, but as um, uh, as Numenus era for sure. 
Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, Dolores Stroke, this is, this is a perfectly good question. The seven-pointed star, um, with the iconography that they use in Lotro, which I love, is that it's a downward-pointed star. And the reason it's pointed down is because it is recalling the discovery of Numenor itself. So Numenor is called the land of the star, um, Elena. And um, it is like when they were sailing to Numenor the first time, the star of, you know, Arendel went before them and was shining down upon the island of Numenor to show them where to go, to show them where so it's the, almost it like was, how we ha- tell the story of the star of Bethlehem shining down to show the shepherds. Exactly right like that. The yeah. 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 Um, so, um, so the, the, so the star is the star of Arendel and the, and that's why it's usually pointing down. That's why I was making a big deal about the fact that this big star out on the side of the cliff points up because normally in the early, um, uh, in the early Numenorean architecture, uh, we see it pointing down in, in Lotro here, like they're, they've been relatively consistent with that. Um, so I think that that's, um, I think that's pretty cool. Um, I love that symbolism. And I love the way in this particular piece of uh, uh, of sculpture, which, again, we see many, many places around Enuminous and some of the other similar uh, sites. Um, I love the way that the downward shaft of light from the star forms the mast of the ship, right? The yeah. way that that kind of weaves together the, the grace of the Valar, which was bestowing Numenor upon them and pointing out Numenor to them as they were sailing in from the distance also forms, um, you know, the mast of the ships that they use to sail, which also convey, you know, carry the blessing of the Valar uh, in all of their journeys, right? Remembering back to the, uh, the, the, the fun early days of Numenor when their ships were still under the blessing of the Valar. Um, and again, that, that the very mast which hold the sails, which, uh, which pull their ships uh, should be, you know, like a a, 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 a a physical instantiation of the blessing of the Valar. I think it's really, I think it's really cool. Oh, um, no, it's a beautiful piece. I also like the curving of the boat, almost like a crescent moon. Yes. Yeah, exactly. When I first saw it, um, I remember first seeing it in Enuminous, and I, I was so struck by the crescent shape. That was all I saw. I didn't even really, yeah. I, didn't, it, it, I didn't even get that it was a boat when I first saw it. I was like, there are these crescents all over the place. What's, and I couldn't place it. I'm like, why are there crescents? I don't get it. And then I was like, oh, wait, yeah, okay, boat. Now I see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, everything about it just says celestial. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But you're right, the um, the way that the ship is like the crescent moon with the star, right? Like the whole thing belongs in the sky like Arendel himself, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that, no, like, I think it's. If, if I didn't know the story and you told me this is the boat that flies in the sky, I'd be like, of course. Yeah, naturally. Exactly. Naturally. Yeah. Yeah, very cool. All right. Well, I should. Um, uh, we should We should go where late tonight, keeping everybody late, which you shouldn't do. Uh, so we should yeah, go yeah, tonight. Yeah. But uh, remember to stay tuned for other stuff later this week. Rings and Realms should drop tomorrow. Lots of meaty discussion in Rings and Realms, uh, and then be here for Other Minds and Hands on Thursday afternoon at 4.30 p.m., and then uh, watch party later that night if you want to watch for the, if you're going to be up at midnight and want to watch it with me, uh, <laughs> you can, uh, and then we'll discuss it after, if you're still up after that, uh, and then I will um, 
do the my reaction shows on Friday uh, with my Twitter show at noon and then my appearance on the official Twitch stream over at Prime Video UK. So at right, two-ish and Grifflet in between. So thanks, everybody. Looking forward to the rest of a fun week here. Uh, and we will see you guys soon. Bye now. Bye.